Now, hear the good news and be not afraid. Good morning. Welcome to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Father P.A., good morning. Good morning, Father. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who raised up St. Ignatius of Loyola in your church to further the greater glory of your name, grant that by his help we may imitate him in fighting the good fight on earth and merit to receive with him a crown in heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. San Ignatius of Loyola, the companions of Christ. Yeah, so that's the, you know, the, the, the famous joke about religious orders, you know, who, who's his best? Well, the Franciscans were founded by St. Francis. The Dominicans were founded by St. Dominic. The Benedictines by St. Benedict, who founded the Jesuits. The Jesuits. Jesus. <laughs> so so St. Ignatius is the famous uh, founder of, of the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, from which we, we get our own present Holy Father, Pope Francis, um, okay. and so many schools and hospitals and, 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 Education, and yeah. educational organizations uh, uh, around the world. Um, the Jesuits have made a, um, an outsized impact in the um, uh, in their relatively short period of time uh, in the church, you know, um, the, as far as religious orders go, they're still kind of the new kids on the block. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, but but they, but they've made a lasting impact not only by way of these institutions that they've created or manage or run, um, but really by the way they the, the way they see the church, um, and 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 uh, in some ways I think the great um, the the great insight of Saint Ignatius. Uh, is that religious life need not all look like one thing. Okay. Um, uh, you know, in, in the course of his life, Ignatius, right, does not start off on the path to priesthood. He's a soldier. He's uh, very badly injured in, in battle and nearly loses a leg. Um, and so during the year that it takes him to recover from his injuries in the war, he convalesces, and the only things they have for him to read are lives of the saints. And at the end of the year, he says... Uh, he's he's become especially taken with the lives of St. Francis and Dominic. Now, this is happening in, in the early 1500s. Uh, Francis and Dominic would have lived about 300 years before. And what he says is, why couldn't someone today do what Francis and Dominic did in their day, which was not all that long ago, right, for him? Right. Well, what did Francis and Dominic do? Well, Francis and Dominic took monastic life the way it existed in the early church, which was either as hermits or in kind of large group monasteries, and they put it on the move so that the Dominicans and the Franciscans both became itinerants. They were, they were monks on the move. They would travel. So they, they lived a real religious life. They lived together. They kept a rule. They kept a common pattern of prayer. They kept the fasting rules that would be in place. They had a habit, all that kind of stuff. Um, but they weren't confined to one space, to one territory, to one place. And in fact, part of their purpose was, was to be on the move. St. Ignatius wanted to do the same kind of thing, uh, especially with priests, to be able to mobilize priests, to be able to go into places where the gospel wasn't uh -huh. um, and, 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 and where uh, existing church structures might not be either in place or helpful to, uh, to, to what was necessary for people here to hear the gospel. And so 500 years today, we have a pope who's telling the church to get on the move and be on mission. If we move in into the contemporary seasons so the active presence of the Jesuits with the social justice especially in Central and South America 
have been an, a significant impact, you know, and also geopolitical impact as well, you know. And uh, it's curiously how the spirituality has been transformed to impact more in social activities. In fact, many of the social uh, projects that have been building in, in Central and South America in terms of the schools, the institutes to promote uh, uh, young education, children education, have been leading and rise out from that Jesuits. I think it's really important to say at the outset because uh, this this language can be very confusing and activating or triggering for people today. Okay. Um, uh, so, so social justice, uh, the term social justice was invented by the Catholic Church. So this is not some uh, hippy-dippy uh, uh, present-day liberal construct that's designed to take away your rights. Right. In fact, the people that invented the language of social justice are the same people that invented rights theory. So in some ways, you don't have any rights apart from a society. Correct. And so and so the only way you can have justice, that is, owe someone what is properly due them, okay. is to be in communion with other people. Like, you require at least two people to have rights, which can be owed or responded to. And so, so this is not the same thing as what uh, as what is sometimes used as social justice, or, um, or or what people sometimes parrot or pantomime as social justice as as simply some sort of um, communist attempts to infiltrate churches or something. That's that's not the idea here at all. Um, and it certainly is an Ignatius's idea, who who bases his religious order off of the structure of the Spanish navy, right? So he creates uh, uh, essentially uh, a military order without arms. Correct. Uh, and this is very important because it's at a time when uh, Europe is at war over religion in the midst of the Reformation and when the Pope still has a standing army and navy. And so he, and, and Ignatius was an ex-soldier and a really good one. So he could very well have created a military order that was a military order and like, I don't know, beat up the French Protestants or something. But that isn't what he chose to do. He took what he learned from his time in the service and applied that to what he knew of religious life and made something genuinely new in the life of the church. Based on your comment, Father, we need to back to the nature of that St. Ignatius spirituality, discernment of spirit. Right. And this discernment of spirit help us in the current seasons as well to discern good and evil as well. So Ignatius um, was in many ways a very decisive man. Uh, like he saw what he wanted and he went for it, which is part of what made him very successful as a soldier. At the same time, because he was trying to do something new and because not everybody was on board at the beginning with what it looked like his project was going to be, um, he found it necessary to create a system, a kind of a process for very clear discernment so that when we acted, especially in matters of great import, so you don't need to discern whether to have Chinese or Mexican tonight. That's not the kind of decision-making we're talking about. But when you're trying to make a serious decision to marry or not to marry, to seek orders or not to seek orders, the meaning of life. To, uh, to move your family, perhaps, um, the Holy Father calls and says, Father Fabian, I'd like you to be the next Archbishop of Dubuque. You got to discern, right? Like you, yeah. you, you got to listen where the spirits, uh, what spirit is speaking this to you. Um, and, and, and so St. Ignatius famously develops the exercises uh, as the primary and then, and, and, and then other just kind of principles of discernment that are used by spiritual directors today to help people make good and holy decisions. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. I don't think men have ever been as lonely as they are today. And it's easy to get depressed about it. 
We're the kind of guys I hung out with in college. Everybody's too busy. No one makes time for one another. Workplaces and neighborhoods, they're just too transient to form meaningful connections. You know what? Maybe that's all true. But if you really want to know what the problem is, look in the mirror. Instead of whining, you need to become the change you want to see in the world by becoming the kind of friend you wish you had. Think of the qualities of your ideal friend. Seriously, think of a list of what that person would look like. Now, you ready for this? Go and be that friend to somebody. But to who? This person has this flaw, that person has that flaw. <laughs> Stop that. Be the friend you wish you had, and I promise you, you'll form the friendships you've been missing. The world is a lonely place. You have the power to fix that. This is Chris Stefanik. For more of our men's program, visit reallifecatholic.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Des Moines, where empowering individuals and strengthening families have been the cornerstone of care for a century. Services for neighbors in need include a food pantry, professional counseling, emergency family shelter, and refugee resettlement. At Catholic Charities, lives are transformed and you can be part of the mission. To learn more about how to help Catholic Charities fulfill Christ's promise of help and hope, visit catholiccharitiesdm.org. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. In the first segment, we concluding to talking about that word discernment, inspired by uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola Spirituality. But at the same time, this week, we have a two great, great saints, St. San Alphonsus Ligurius and St. Peter Julian Aymar, that in a very remarkable manner describe devotion, piety, and adoration to the Blessed Sacrament. It's a beautiful connection how we can enjoy that resplendent present, the divine present, better to say, from our Lord at the Blessed Sacrament as well. But also, San Alfonso's Ligurius is the founder of a religious order as well. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, um, the saints this week sort of... Uh, uh, lead time-wise um, up to our own day, right? So so, so St. Ignatius, um, covering the bulk of the 16th century, Ignatius, uh, the uh, part of the 17th and most of the 18th, and then Peter the 19th, right? So, right. so, so they're examples of what the church and churchmen look like in these different periods. You know, um, I Ignatius is living right at the time of the Reformation. He's part of what is often called the Catholic Counter-Reformation, um, uh, it might actually be better just to call it the Catholic Reformation because because Ignatius was was very much in favor of, of making changes for what wasn't working, but he wanted to stay faithful to the true faith, right? Right. Um, Alphonsus is in many ways dealing with uh, the the fallout from the Reformation. How do you live in a divided church, and how do you instruct people in the faith when they have neighbors that that are Christians of goodwill but that don't hold the faith? Um, and uh, and and how how do you deal with clergy that don't always take their their role seriously? And how do you how do you, all that kind of stuff? Um, and um, and then Saint uh, Saint uh, Peter Julian, right? He he he's in France, um, uh, so further west than the others. But but he's um, dealing with a church post revolution, and how do you rebuild the faith after a country has gone explicitly atheist? Um, and, uh, and interestingly, the response from all three is devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. 
that's oh. that's really that's really the answer. Um, for 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 Saint Ignatius, he actually creates the Jesuit ritual of final vows, so that when the vows are made, they're not to the superior; they're to the sacrament. So uh, Jesuits don't make solemn vows real often. I've only been to one in my lifetime, and I lived with them for eight years. Um, but uh, but it, it, it's a stunning thing to see when it happens. St. Alphonsus, um, not totally responsible for, but certainly very influential in what we think of uh, as, as, as the priest's holy hour today, um, as, as, as keeping a regular hour each day before the Blessed Sacrament and insisting on it for his priests, really putting devotion to the Blessed Sacrament at the heart of redemptorist spirituality. And then St. Uh, Peter Julian Neymar uh, <sighs> making this possible for all people, right? right? And encouraging devotion to the Blessed Sacrament, not only for priests or consecrated religious, but for all people, and setting up permanent chapels so that it would be possible for people to do that all the time. And I love that quote from St. Uh, Al Al Alphonsus Ligurius that said, what, uh, so, somebody asking him, what do you do in front of the Blessed Sacrament? I listen to him. And he listened me. That that is awesome. Is that the is a sacred silence in front of the divine presence. One of the things I take great heart in in the life of Saint Alphonsus is that he um, he was very successful as a human being, um, but he he struggled. Um, he wasn't always successful in his career. So, okay. so, so one example of this is that um, as 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 a bishop, he was appointed. Uh, he was appointed bishop um, after having founded the Redemptorists, and he didn't want to become a bishop because he felt like he was kind of leaving his religious order orphaned. Um, and he tried to beg off, but the Holy Father insisted, and so he became a bishop. And he was really good at some things, and really not good, good at others. some things. And so then he wound up retiring, but then living for quite a while, and then. He got thrown out of the religious order that he founded. Wow. Now, this is a thing that happens more often than you might imagine. I can think of four offhand uh, of saints that got thrown out of the religious community that they, that they founded. In some ways, St. Benedict, right, when his, his novices try and put poison in his cup, probably had experienced the same thing, right? But um, it, it, it's the whole dynamic of religious community and what happens when people don't agree and they can like and, and great holiness can turn to great vice very quickly um uh but 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 what it shows right is that is that is that is is that a person can be a saint and still make real bad mistakes even near the end they can be a saint and, and, and still make mistakes or have things not work out think they're a failure thinking i'm a failure does not disqualify me from sanctity correct Um, and, and, It's part of the human being. Fine. That's right. And so I, 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 I take great heart in a character like Saint Ignatius, Saint Alphonsus. Uh, if we if we make a connection between these uh, saints in general, but especially Saint Ignatius of Loyola, Saint Alphonsus Oligorius, and also Saint Peter, Julian Aymar, is devotion, devotion, spent time in front of the blessed sacrament and many of our decisions take it out of the contemplation of the divine mystery in this in the blessed sacrament obviously create a literally and a, and a weak and a weak manner how we approach our decisions as well and we are facing day by day decision that must be first consulting to god yeah you know uh, uh, some of my um Uh, 
best memories um, as a student studying abroad in Ireland in the early 2000s were of the Blessed Sacrament Fathers Chapel, um, which was in a strip mall on like on one of the main streets in Dublin. So you so people would be walking home from the bars or the clubs at night, or they'd be going about their business during the day, or they'd be doing just ordinary people stuff, and like there he is, right right in the midst of all the busy. Um, and, and I, I took great heart in that. Like I used that chapel a lot when I was, when I was a student and it's probably a lot of what let me hear. Right. But they, they, the, 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 the genius of, uh, of St. Peter Julian is that he, 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 he put people whose lives were centered on the blessed sacraments and placed them in the midst of other people's lives. So very often, our kind of um, uh, default setting when it comes to adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, it, obviously it's in church, and so, but it's it's to create kind of shrines or sanctuaries, separate and apart places to go do that, and and and, and, and the genius of Peter Julian's devotion was that no, like our devotion of the Blessed Sacrament should permeate our whole day, so don't just stop by the adoration chapel, but make the sign of the cross when you pass by a church because Jesus is in there, well, and He wants you to know that He loves you. And just little things like that that would permeate sort of Catholic life and Catholic culture so that we would never really be off. We'd always just be turned on to grace. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. 60 Seconds with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. In the history of the world, only one tomb has ever had a rock roll before it and a soldier set to guard it to prevent a dead man from rising. And that was the tomb of Christ on the evening of the Friday call good. What spectacle could be more ridiculous than armed soldiers keeping their eyes on a corpse? But sentinels were set, lest the dead walk, the silence speak, and the pierced heart quicken to the throb of life. They said he was dead. They knew he was dead. They said he would never rise again. And yet, they watched. They remembered that he called his body the temple, and that in three days after they had destroyed it, he would rebuild it. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. I know Carmelite nuns who get a call from their mother superior every June, telling them where they're going to be assigned in the year ahead. And even if they know they're probably not going to be transferred, before that call, they're supposed to pack up all their belongings and wait for the phone to ring. It's an exercise in detachment from the world. We all go through that in our own ways, don't we? Maybe sometimes, you know, something becomes unstable in our current jobs, or a new opportunity opens up, or we have a financial crash that forces us to rebudget everything, or we go on a job interview, or maybe get a call from a doctor with some disturbing news. You know, even if those experiences don't pan out to be anything, and they usually don't, don't overlook their importance. That's God reminding us that, in the end, this world isn't our home. And if you get too attached to the little comforts you surround yourself with, you won't be available to God's grace and His call in your life. Stay open. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Feast of the Transfiguration of the Lord this coming Sunday. By the way, Feast of Solemnity of the Transfiguration, Father. So it is feast, but when a feast of our Lord, as opposed to a feast of Our Lady or one of the saints, falls on a Sunday, 
it winds falls on a Sunday of ordinary time. Okay. It winds up trumping the Sunday. Oh. You see what I'm saying? Okay. And so, and so for all practical purposes, this really can only happen at this point with, um, with the presentation and the transfiguration and, and the exaltation of the cross. Um, those are the only ones, the way the calendar set up in the United States. In other parts of the world, the way Holy Family uh, goes may or may not, because uh, that, that feast gets, uh, the, the Feast of the Holy Family and New Year's, um, if they fall on Sunday, wind up, wind up moving things too. So if New Year's falls on a Sunday, you wind up bumping Holy Family. But the, 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 the point is that, that um, there's a hierarchy in our feasts. Okay. And feasts of our Lord always trump things because they're, they're events in the, in, in the life of the Lord. And so, so even though, even though it's a feast, because it's on a Sunday, you'd celebrate all the things as though it were a solemnity, basically. So there'd still be a creed, right? But, um, but, 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 the, but the, the hierarchy on the calendar is, is, is that it's a feast. The Feast of the Transfiguration um, is, uh, is, is, of course, one, one of the only things that gets celebrated twice in the course of the year. Okay. So it's invariably celebrated during Lent, and then it also has its own feast day. And the reason is, during Lent, the reading of the Transfiguration um, uh, during Lent is, is, tied to, is tied to the events of the Passion. Um, Jesus talks about it that way, the Gospel writers present it that way, and, 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 and it's bound up with the experience that the disciples have before the events of the Passion. This feast, though, is where it's at on the calendar because it's 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 more closely related to the Jewish feast of Tabernacles, which is what they were celebrating at the Transfiguration. Okay. So 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 the reason it gets celebrated twice is because it really this mystery has two different meanings depending on the time of year and the circumstances in which we celebrate it. In this uh, liturgy of the word for the feast of the Transfiguration of the Lord, uh, the the second reading, the second. Letter from Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 to 19, said, Beloved, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that unique declaration came to him from the majestic glory, This is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. We, heard our, we ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Moreover, we possess the prophetic message that is altogether reliable. You will do well to be attentive to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is, this is a desperately important passage because it's coming from the the pen or at least the tongue of St. Peter himself. Now, if you recall the events of the transfiguration, the Lord takes Peter, James, and John Correct. up the high mountain, traditionally recognized as Mount Tabor. And it's there that he's transfigured in their sight. Now there are people that want to post date the epistles of Peter to far after the apostle Peter's death. Um, and there are, there are reasonable arguments scholars can have around like text, Right. But I want everyone to ask themselves, if you really believe Jesus is God and you believe all the things he said, if you hadn't personally seen him transfigured this way, 
if you think it would be okay to lie about that in public. Correct. Because that is essentially what we're saying when we suggest that the origins of these texts are coming from someplace else. Now, it may be that somebody else wrote it down. Peter may well have been illiterate, for all we know. But 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 that these words came from Peter, um, it, it seems there can be no doubt. Or, or we have to just dismiss the whole thing. But, Father, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased, is an eloquent, heavenly voice that proclaimed the salvation. It's literally over there. I had been preaching a couple times about the Holy Eucharist, the mystery of the transubstantiation, how the voice of the Father proclaimed that He is my beloved Son, is the declaration of love that is real presence at the altar. So both the transfiguration and the baptism of the Lord are parallel type events where something supernatural happens they're the only times, apart from the resurrection itself, they're the only times that something supernatural seems to happen to Jesus, right? Throughout the rest of the Gospels, when supernatural things happen, right. it's Jesus doing things to people or to material objects or to the weather or something, right? But here, something is happening to Jesus, and it sends a message, a voice speaks, um, and, and it sends a message to other people, to witnesses about Jesus, the cloud appears and there's a voice and this, and, and, and this kind of dynamic, both in the case of the transfiguration and the baptism, it's hearkening back to images from the Exodus when Moses encountered the Lord in a cloud. And when the Lord spoke from the cloud and frightened all the people out of their wits, when Moses was so bright that he had to veil his face because the people couldn't look at him and that Moses and Elijah are the ones who appear with the Lord on the mountain of transfiguration. Right. Now, why Moses and Elijah? Well, there's two reasons. The first is that they obviously represent in important ways kind of the two horns of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the greatest of, of the Old Testament prophets. But the other thing that's really important about this for us as Christians is that they're, neither of them are dead. Or rather, if they are, we don't know where their bodies are at. They're men for whom there are no tombs. Right. Wow. So so Moses died and supposedly St. Michael and the devil fought over his body. We, we learn that from the epistle of St. James or for, uh, from the epistle of St. Jude. Um, and Elijah, of course, is taken to the cloud in a fiery chariot. So these two men who are not really dead are appearing with the Lord Jesus, who is about to die. Wow. So it's a it's it, it's a deep cut foreshadow or preview of the resurrected life that's about to come. Approaching our ending program for this uh, day, could you please send us with your blessing, Father? You know, the, the, the transfiguration uh, was situated during the Feast of Tabernacles when we built a tent for God to dwell in. The, the saints whose memory we keep this week are, are all about devotion to the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. And so may the peace and the comfort and the consolation of the Lord and the Holy Eucharist be with you all now and forever, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Jesus is on the way to encounter you. Go forward and be not afraid. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid comes from Ball Team, your builder of all faith-based construction needs. Learn more at buildwithball.com.